Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. The other thing I want to highlight before I jump into the message today is in January, we're going to begin a, ser- a sermon series called Asking for a Friend. Um, and about three, gosh, now that COVID, all that, three years ago, I did a series called God, I Have a Question. And this is sort of a similar series. And what I, I've got a QR code up here. Um, I would love for you to submit the questions that you would love to ask or that you have friends who maybe are too shy to ask. You, I've, I put this on our, our Facebook page. You can share that this, uh, with your friends. If they're like, you know, I've always wanted to ask questions. You know, like, why, why suffering, God? I don't really get that. Um, any of the big questions that you really would like to have asked, and we're going to build a sermon series around, a seven-week sermon series around those questions. So I genuinely do want your questions. Otherwise, I'm going to make them up, and you don't want me to do that. You want your actual questions answered. You don't want me to tell you what your questions are, right? Right. Great. We're starting off really good, you guys. I'm answering my own questions. It's amazing. So take a minute. Uh, put your questions in there. It's in the email. If you don't get the email, get the email. Um, but you can submit those questions. And our hope by Christmas Eve is to have all of them nailed down. We'll have a card. So when your friends come who are like, I'm only coming to church once a year, When they come, we can say, hey, here's some questions that have been submitted by actual people. You may even be some of those people. We'd love to have you join us in January as we answer those questions. Cool? Great. Maybe by the end. Maybe by the end. I'll just keep asking questions until everybody answers. Great, 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 great. Okay, here here we go. I want to begin. I want to read a passage. I don't usually do this to start the message. But I want to read the words of Jesus to you. From John 14, 27. Some of you will know this verse by heart. If you know it, you can recite it, but just make sure it matches what I read. Um, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Anybody need peace in your life? One, two, couple of you. The rest of you know somebody who needs peace in your life. This is a beautiful verse, is it not? We all love love the idea that Jesus says he's going to give us peace. And I think we all know that we need peace. But if we're honest, I think a lot of times we find ourselves, even if we're followers of Jesus, we find ourselves going, I don't really know how that happens. You know, my life is chaos. My life is crazy. There's too much going on. How does peace even happen? And I know that Jesus and peace go together. I'm not really sure what that looks like. And this is followers of Jesus. You know, we're in the m- m- busiest time of our annual calendar, right? You have like Christmas parties, you have gift exchanges, you have dinners, you have that work thing that you have to do, you have all kinds of things, you have plans that you have to make for Christmas, you have to plan the meals that you're going to have, you have the gift buying that you have to do, you have all these things, right? Does this sound like your calendar? Or is it just me? Anybody sound like this This is my calendar? Yes. Uh, we have all these things. We have things that we have to do, and it is so stressful. I, I think it's funny, um, as we've tried to plan various things, and we've invited a bunch of people. I know worship team is having a thing this week, and 
I mean, if you talk to Jeff, trying to get a day in December that works for everybody, just not going to happen, right? Just not going to happen. It's impossible. And people are starting to push things into January because it's just such a crazy time. Beyond that, many of us are not looking forward necessarily to family interactions that we're going to have at Christmas. Like we have the, the argument that was never really resolved the last time we were together. We have the disagreement, we have the, 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 the thing that, that we don't talk about, but it influences every conversation we have. We have the uncle that I just, I can't stand anymore, right? And so when we think about our upcoming interactions at Christmas, we think about, man, there's no peace there either. I'm not really looking forward to any peace at my Christmas table. Or if it's not that, we think about like every one of us has struggled to some degree with how much more expensive everything has gotten over the past year. Inflation has hit all of us, right? And so there's no peace in our finances. And I could go on and on and on, but I hope you get the point. Jesus offers peace, but we don't feel it. Anybody else that way? I'm sitting here in December, looking forward to Christmas, and I know that peace is part of it, but I don't know how that works. And that's for people who even follow Jesus, let alone people outside the church. We know that peace is supposed to mark us. That if we're followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be people who, it's notable, the peace that we bring into a situation. But if we're really honest, some of us would say, it's been a long time since I felt any kind of peace. It's been a long time. I have all those strained relationships. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we experience peace? How does peace come? We began this series a few weeks ago for Advent, and what I told you is that Advent is this season where we look back. We look back and we remember that Jesus has come. And we look forward to the time when Jesus will come again, and we look forward with eager anticipation. That it's not some wish that Jesus will come someday, but it's actually a hope. It's a, it's a biblical hope that we know that he's coming, and it's just a matter of time. And this is the season that we find ourselves in. And for those of us who follow Jesus, living in between these two times is a time of tension, isn't it? That we know when Jesus comes back, all things will be made new again. We know that our hope will be completely anchored. It will be sure. It won't be a hope. It will be certain. We know that generosity, like we talked about last week, will come in its fullness, that the world will function the way that it was intended to function. We know today that peace will come in its fullness. But we also look around and we live in this world where those things are not true. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we live now in anticipation of what will be. How do we do that? How do we live as peaceful people in the midst of a culture that quite honestly presses in on us with chaos, with brokenness, with anxiety and fear? I'm calling today's message peace in the tension. Peace in the tension. Let's pray and then we'll look at scripture. And so Lord, I do just invite you to come. And Lord, with all the things that we've already named that are pressing in on us, God, I pray today that you would deposit in each of us your peace. 
all the ways, of the, the things that we know that we're going to have to deal with, Lord, I pray today that the peace of the kingdom of God would come in this place. And Lord, that we would have faith, that faith would grow as a result of this time, Lord. Would you put power on this message, fill me with your spirit, enable me to speak the words that you have given, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at John chapter 14. And we're going to look at the context, because we're good Bible readers, we're going to look at the context of the verse that I just read you. Okay, so turn with me to John chapter 14. And the context of this verse is actually, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's leaving. And so, they, of course, they're, they're terrified. They're like, well, what does that mean? You know, if, and I want you to get sort of the shock of this. Like, Jesus shows up as the Messiah, and they've all acknowledged he's the one that we've been waiting for. And what that meant is that the, the, the oppressing force would be kicked out. So the Romans would be kicked out. Jesus, as Messiah, will come. He set up his kingship, and he's going to rule and reign as the king in Israel. And, of course, you know, you know, they're not in bad spot as disciples. You know, they're sort of like when you start naming cabinet members— Hey, we're somebody now. We're somebody special. So they're, they're sort of like have this expectation. And Jesus gets to the end of, of, of chapter 13, and he says, and I'm leaving. And they're like, what? What do you mean? You're leaving. Leaving is not part of the deal. And Jesus sets about trying to calm their fear and calm their anxiety about him leaving. And so uh, we're going to pick up right in the middle of Jesus' calming words, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 14, okay? John 14, beginning in verse 15, and here's what we read. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And here's that verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, one of the challenges to understanding what Jesus is saying whenever he's talking about peace is that we don't know the meaning of the word. We have our own idea about what the word peace means. It's one that we've sort of maybe 
adopted from the culture around us or from, you know, Webster's Dictionary, but we don't understand the meaning of the word peace. I want to show you a video from the folks over at the Bible Project um, about what the word means in the Bible, the word peace in the Bible. So watch this video and then we'll continue. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. There's your uh, Greek and Hebrew lesson for the day. Um, and uh, I'm sure you all are experts now, right? Everybody's an expert on on uh, peace. What I want you to take from that video 
is this idea that in the Bible, peace is not just a good feeling. It's not just feeling okay about the world. It is that, but it's beyond that. In the Bible, peace is making all things new. It's wholeness. It's, it's building towards the way things are supposed to be. So when Jesus shows up, Jesus sets about making things whole, right? You see him all the time. It's that you, you, he goes to someone who's, who's not well, who's blind, who can't hear, uh, who can't speak, who can't walk, and he makes them whole. The miraculous things that Jesus does as an expression of the peace of the kingdom of God. And so he, he does everything like this. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He raises the dead. He, like, recruits sinful people. Like, he gives fellowship to people who used to be on the outside. And what he says is the kingdom of God has come near. Here's what I want you to get. Peace is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Peace is the atmosphere of the kingdom of, the, of God. When the kingdom of God, when the rule of reign and reign of God comes in a place, in a situation, what comes is wholeness. Peace is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. It's far more than just a good feeling. It is that. But it's setting things right. You know, sometimes we talk about, and I've, I've had a lot of you remark that in this place, when we invite the presence of God, to come in this place. We invite the Holy Spirit to come, and you say, well, man, I just feel like the troubles that I was carrying have sort of like faded away, right? And I see some of you shake your head. Yes, that's like, that's one of the things that happens. I get this feeling like, wow, everything is going to be okay. Everything feels okay right now. But it's further than that. Yes, it's a good feeling, and yet in the presence of peace, in the presence of God comes peace, but it also comes the power of God. The presence of God, the good feeling that you get is only part and parcel of it, right? The rest of it comes through the wholeness. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we pray for deliverance. That's why we do these things is because it's not enough just to have a good feeling because I came to church, but we actually do believe that when the presence of God comes in a situation, the power of God is also available. And the power of God is available for wholeness, for peace, the actual shalom of God to come into this place. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That's why we do prayer time at the end of every service. It's not because we thought, man, I don't really know how to end it. What's the most religious thing we can do? I got an idea. Let's pray. That'll be a great way to end the service. Let's do a religious thing at the end and everybody will feel good. No, we genuinely believe that when the presence of God comes, and we feel the peace of God, we actually believe that extends to wholeness. We actually believe that what becomes available is freedom from demonic forces, is freedom from the work of the enemy. We actually believe that when we pray, things will happen. Because when the peace of God comes, it transforms everything. It actually goes about setting things right. The wholeness of God comes. And that's the work that Jesus sets about doing when he gets here. He releases the peace, the wholeness of the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. He shows up, and everywhere he goes, the wholeness of God 
And so when he tells his disciples that he's leaving, if you can think about being a disciple of Jesus, and for three years, everywhere you went, the shalom of God shows up. People who are demonized are set free. People who can't walk, people who can't speak are able to. Everywhere you go, you're kind of constantly walking in touch with the the constant shalom of God. And Jesus goes, all right, guys, I'm out. Can you imagine the panic that sets about? Because what do you think? What happens happens to you every time you experience the peace and the presence of God in this space and you leave, the thought that you have is, well, here it goes again, right? You go back to your job and the same people are still at your job. And the same situations are still in your workplace. You go back to your family and the same dynamics are still there. And so in the absence of this sense of peace, you start going, well, evil is going to have its day again, right? You sort of expect this like, spiral down, don't you? You're like, well, if peace is leaving. And so Jesus sets about trying to like comfort and console his disciples. And I I can imagine a lot of better things to say. I mean, obviously Jesus knows better than I do, but if I'm not feeling well about something, the last thing I want somebody to do is say, now obey, right? Obey. I want somebody to say, they're there. It'll be okay, right? You want somebody to say something else. But here's what Jesus says. He says, obey my teaching. This is his way of comforting them. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, there's a reason he does this. There's a reason he tells them to obey. What he's saying is, when I leave... You are to continue what I've been doing. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we do the work Jesus began. In fact, all of Jesus' commands are the way to live the life that he lived. That's what Jesus is commanding. The reason he says obey is because that's how you live the life of the kingdom that he was living. Now, if we're not careful, we could just turn this into a legalistic way of trying to, like, avoid doing bad things, right? When we hear the word obey, that's what we mean. It's like, oh, I got to keep on the straight and narrow. I got to do the, I got to stop doing all the bad things. But that's not actually what Jesus primarily is about. Yes, it's don't do the bad things, but there's at least as much positive as there is negative in that statement. Jesus isn't just saying stop doing things. Jesus is saying actively do these things. There's at least as much positive. And what Jesus is saying is, you go about releasing the peace of the kingdom everywhere you go. You know, that statement we have on the wall back there is just sort of a modified way of saying what Jesus says. That we want to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. That's actually what Jesus calls us to be. is people who transform the spaces, people who release peace into situations. So in other words, the result of obedience to Jesus' teaching is peace. That if you're actually obedient to the teachings of Jesus, the result is peace. Now, if you avoid doing the bad things, that will make you have peace inside, right? But if you actively engage in doing the good things, it makes peace extend beyond yourself. You actually are a person who releases peace. So which teaching? What teaching are we talking about? Here's here's the easiest way to read this. All of them. 
all of the teachings of Jesus. They sum up to, to build a certain kind of way of being. And, you know, if you're like, I'm not really sure where to start, I'll give you a great place to start. How about the Sermon on the Mount? Most famous sermon, it kind of begins in Matthew chapter 5, and it's just an outline of Jesus' teaching. And it goes for, forward from there, but let me give you a couple of examples. Matthew 5.16 says, live a life of good deeds. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not enough to abstain from bad things. You have to engage in good things. Matthew 5.19, don't set aside the law and the prophets. Here's what it says. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Or Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, reconcile broken relationships quickly. 23 says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You see these things. We could keep right, just going right on down, right? Deal ruthlessly with your own sin. Live a life of integrity and keep your word. Love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Give to the needy. Don't do your acts of, of prayer and fasting for the purpose of being seen by others, but do them with God alone as your audience. You could just go right on down through there. And you can see how this is building a comprehensive way of being that releases the peace of the kingdom into the world. Or how about this one, Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I mean, we could go right on down through and including, up to and including, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, right? All the things that Jesus commissions his disciples to do. If you're a disciple, he's commissioning you to those activities. You are to be the transforming space everywhere you go. You continue the ministry of Jesus. But this probably brings up this small question. Right? You're like, oh, that sounds great. I've tried to do a lot of those things. They're really hard. Or for those of you who have been emotionally focused at all, you go, I even know the teachings of Jesus, and I've discovered that I'm intentionally, willfully disobedient to the teachings of Jesus. Right? Those of you who have been through EF know that. That there are teachings of Jesus that you just willfully disregard for various reasons, and we can talk about that. But how do I do this when I don't always feel peaceful? Like, where do I get the peace to distribute it into the world? How does this even work? There's two promises that I want to show you in this passage that I want you to hold on to. The first one is this. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to all who love and obey him. Verse 16 says, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Verse 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. No matter what state you find yourself in, whether you're on an emotional high or an emotional low, whether you're being good or being bad, no matter what state you find yourself in, the promise is that if you are a follower of Jesus who loves Jesus and is, is striving to obey the teachings of Jesus, Jesus says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And 
Paul calls the Holy Spirit the down payment, the deposit, the earnest money. If you think about like living in between the times and we find ourselves stretched so thin, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on the fullness that is to come. The Holy Spirit is the earnest money. It's the deposit on the fullness of what is to come. What Jesus is saying is you can have access by the Holy Spirit to everything you need resource-wise that God calls you to. You can have access to the, the limitless peace because of the Holy Spirit. You can ask for more of the Holy Spirit no matter where you find yourself. You can ask for more. Do you know that? Many of us find ourselves in everyday life just sort of going, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm wrestling with things. It's so hard. Everything is anxious. Everything is fearful. There's chaos all around me. And in that space, you can ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Do you know we do that at the end of our services, but you can do that in your house. You can do that in your neighbor's house. That's a thing that you can do. You can invite the Holy Spirit to come and experience the peace of the kingdom. It's a thing you can do. When we first started this church, we would, in our small groups, we would have time where we would just wait and invite the Holy Spirit to come. We would pray, come Holy Spirit. And there was a, a girl who was in, in our group. She, I was like, you know you can do this at your house, right? You know you can do this in your workplace. She goes, yeah, but there's something different about when you do it. I was like, I don't think that's true. The promise is that God will pour out the Holy Spirit on those of us who ask. Do you know you can have access to peace even when you're stressed out? You can have access to a different kind of peace. So that's the first promise. But the second promise that I want you to take hold of is this. Those who love and obey Jesus have heaven residing inside them. Those who love and obey Jesus have heaven residing inside them. Let me read this to you. Verse 23, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And catch this. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Culturally speaking, we often think heaven is the place we want to leave this wretched place to go to. Biblically speaking, the whole point of Jesus coming is to bring heaven and put it inside of you, that heaven and earth would come back together. It's not that we depart this crazy world and go off someplace else and float on a cloud. The idea is that heaven comes to live inside of you, and heaven is God's space. This is where God lives. That's the, the word that gets used for where God lives. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is that if you love and obey Jesus... The Father and Jesus will come and live with you, that heaven will come to live with you. What that means is that you will always have access to limitless storehouses of peace. As a follower of Jesus, you live in between two spaces, in between two realities. On the one hand, right, we live in this crazy, chaotic world that we described when we started, right? We live in the middle of this place where we're being squeezed on all sides. But as followers of Jesus, we also have a foot in the, the heaven space. That we bridge between the world as it is and the world as it will be. 
And we stand in between those places. That's what it is to have the Father and Jesus making their home with you. That God comes to live inside you and around you. That you actually become a place where people experience heaven. That's the invitation to followers of Jesus. That we, all, we become people who experience peace inside of ourselves, but then the peace of God just goes with us. You read these weird passages in Acts where Peter's shadow just falls on people and the presence of God comes. And they're like, why? I don't understand this. That's what it is. That the peace of God lives in you, but because the Father and Jesus have come to make their home with you, the presence of God goes out from you. And where you go, spaces get transformed. They become peaceful places. They become places where wholeness comes. We put ourselves intentionally in places where brokenness is because we expect that the wholeness of God will come. We pray for healing because we expect that God is going to break in. We actually become people of peace. So how does peace come? It comes by our connection to God our Father through Jesus by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit where we become people of peace who extend peace into the world. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.